So let me open up the Word over the next few moments we have together. I want to talk a little bit on authentic community. And I don't know that there's really going to be anything that I'm going to share today that is revolutionary as much as I think it's critical, critical, critical that we in our own life revisit this area uh, of, uh, uh, of, of authentic community and really evaluate are we walking in it? Are we experiencing it? Is, is, is there's those type of exchange that she, that she was talking about? Is that a regular part of how we conduct our lives? Uh, and, and I want to read a set of scripture out of the book of John. Just to give you a context for this, it's just two, two or three scriptures here, uh, scripture verses. And it is the moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he is breathing some of his very last breaths and saying his very last statements, at least that we have recorded in scripture. And there's seven of them recorded in scriptures. This is one of them. So you have to think there is a weightiness to the words that he says, knowing these are some of his last words, last actions, last, last, uh, last thoughts that he's trying to impart. And so John 19, 26, 27 says this. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, referring to, the, to John, he said to his mother, dear woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, his disciple took her into his home. This has to be probably one of the most uh, tender moments in Scripture. The most touching, maybe some of the most teachable moments in Scripture. Again, let me just build the context for you. This has to be one of, I would say, the darkest moments in John's life. He's just witnessed his best friend and his Savior get brutally beaten beyond recognition. And then sees him hung, hanging on the cross. Every time he has to take a breath, he's got to take those, those hands pierced and pull himself up just to breathe, to get any sense of, uh, of words. And then you see Mary, and I can't even imagine, I can't even put myself in her shoes and know what a mother's feeling in this moment. She can't care for her son. She can't protect her son. She can't do anything at this moment other than watching him suffer. And in this moment, you have Jesus look at them and start talking to them about relationships. And if you've taken any time and read through any of Jesus' life or teaching, you recognize that his coming was all about relationships, not just what he did on the cross, but his life was all about relationships. What he taught was about relationships. What he lived was all about relationships. It's so interesting that his mode of operation is so different than how we would build a strategy on how to build a ministry today. You found Jesus often running from the crowds. He'd get up early and get out of town before the crowds would get to him. And it was the crowds that pursued him. And Jesus wasn't all about the crowds. He was all about, certainly, his relationship with the Father, and then he was all about a group that he gathered around him. The three, the twelve, the seventy-two that he invested in, poured in. They traveled with him. They talked. He would do something miraculous, and he would turn around and have a conversation with them about it. It was always teaching, always pouring in. I'm sure they're laughing together. They're just sharing life together. The way he conducted his life was all about relationships. And some of his last words were about relationships. 
as he looked and saw his mother struggling, and he just said, Mom, here's your son. And, and, and John, my best friend, I need you to take care of my mom. And, and, and what a tender moment that had to be. And, and I just want to give three, uh, three truths that I think really can encourage us or should encourage us out of this story. Then I want to camp in the last one for a few minutes. But I just want to build a context for it first. first let, let, let me just say that this story I think illustrates probably lots of things. Let me mention three. First one is this. It, it illustrates... Jesus' willingness to care for you. Here's what I mean by that. In Jesus' broken place, if you and I were on there, let me see if if I was on the cross, it would be hard for me to think anything beyond myself, my suffering, my wounds, my pain, right? I'd be so in such anguish. And yet here's Jesus thinking beyond himself, seeing his mother and his concern for his mother in that moment. And if he can care for his, mom, his mother in that moment and his willingness to, to try to reach her, how much more is he going to reach us? You know, and it sounds a little contrary, but, but just think through this. In the book of Luke, Jesus is ministering to a crowd. And at the door of the house, his mother and brothers show up. And, and they can't get through to him, so they send somebody. That kind of word comes up, and someone finally says, your, your mom and, and your brothers, your family are outside. They need to talk to you. And he said, well, who's my mother and my brothers? They're the ones that hear the word and put it into practice. And he wasn't devaluating family. Obviously, God created family, right? So we know that. But what he was is he was exalting this community that he was about to build. My family is this group right here that are here gathered in around me. That's, that's who I consider. These are not just followers. They're family. And if he is willing to care for his mother in that moment, how much more is he willing to care for you and I? And not only is he willing to, but he is able to. I mean, just think for a moment. This is, again, uh, his weakest, most humiliating moment as he hangs on a cross. If he can care for his mom in a very natural way, how much in a risen place, seated at the right hand of the Father, can he care for you and I? How much out of his wealth and glory and riches can he provide for us? Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How does he supply our needs? In his riches and glory. Not his brokenness on the cross, but in his riches and glory. He can care for his mom there. He can care for us here. And then here's maybe the greatest illustration out of this whole thing for me. It is, is this new, it illustrates this new spiritual family that are, that's put in place right here. See, so what, what, this is very different than, than what should happen in customs then and even today. Who should be taking care of the mother? Well, the husband, but he's probably not around. Uh, he's probably passed on. We don't know that. He's probably passed on. So who else is left? Right, the brothers, right? So Jesus should have customarily gathered the brothers and said, okay, now it's your responsibility. I'm the oldest. I'm passing it down to you. You need to go down and take care of them. Instead, he didn't look to the brothers. We don't know why, but he didn't look to the brothers. Instead, he said this. 
John, my best friend, this now is your mother. He didn't say, you know, you know, take care of her if you would for me like I would. No, no, this is your mother. He established a relationship that was, that, that was unique right there and, and went against the norm. And son, this is your mother. John, this is now your mom. Mom, he needs somebody to keep after him. And, and, and she needs somebody to provide. There's a, there's a story of a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. You guys are familiar with the story. I'm sure some of you are. And in that story, there was a dialogue back and forth on how to enter into heaven, how to have eternal life. And it finally got to the point where Jesus said, here's what you got to do. You got to sell everything you have, lay down your crown, lay down all your authority, and come follow me. And this man couldn't do it. He couldn't let go of all the stuff, right, that was standing in the way. So he put his head down and walked away. And the disciples said, as they often do, what about us? We left everybody. How do we fit into that scenario? We left our family and our house and all that and our farms and our boats and our fishing and our work and everything. We left all that. What what happens to us? And Jesus replied was this. He said, anyone that left their homes, their brothers, their sisters, their mother, their father, their farms, are going to receive a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. Where do we get a hundred fathers? A hundred children? A hundred brothers? A hundred sisters? A hundred grandparents? Where does that happen? In the church, right? It's this community that God's built where we are to function that way. Again, not devaluing family but exalting what God is creating here that is beyond family, that God created something relationally that just goes beyond that. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. So my, my, um, my wife and I, years ago before we had children, so this goes back 17, 18, 20 years ago, we started a small group, and we've had several that we've started uh, over time. Uh, and we started a small group of young couples that were in our season of life, married but no children. We felt like there was a bunch of young couples in the church that were kind of disconnected, not really finding a place, so we just gathered them together and we just started meeting as a small group. It's interesting over time what happened to that group. Some of these folks become some of the very closest friends to ours, even to this day. We went out and planted a church in Western Branch. That whole group came out and planted the church with us. None of them lived in the community, came out and planted the church with us. Some of them became uh, elders and, and strategic leaders in that church. And most of them now have moved away, but even over Christmas, we were down in Mississippi visiting some family, and we stopped off, had dinner with one of these couples, and we talked to them on a regular basis, you know, once or twice, uh, every couple months, we'll touch base with them. Or what. And these are some folks that are still 17, 18 years later, don't even live around here, we still call them our very best friends. We have groups with folks like Kathy and Robin that we had a group with 15 years ago, and, 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 and these guys are some of our close friends that came out of that. Why? Because God uniquely built something that, and then places us in it that has meaningful relationships and friendships. And he calls us to function in that. So I just want to talk about this new family for a few minutes, if I can. And, and, and what I really think is I just I want it to be a rediscovery for you and I. And a moment of evaluation of how we're doing, are we living in authentic community? Not is it available, but are we living in it? Are we embracing it? 
are we really going after that or not? So let me just give you three truths on, on uh, three, three, three foundational truths concerning community. Again, not revolutionary, but I think vital that we just visit these. First one is this. God created us to have fellowship. God created us to be in relationship and to have fellowship. Well, let's go back to creation. At creation, God creates the world and everything in it. And as he's creating, he looks at those things and says, it's good. Some fish in the water, that's cool, that's good. Birds in the air, I'm sure you'd say it's cool, but it's my terminology. It's what he meant to say. You know, it sees the, see, see, sees the birds, that's cool. Night and day, very cool, great, good. Sees, you know, the, the land and the water. And he's looking over all this he's created, and every day he just affirms, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he comes to man, and he doesn't say it. Now, let me give you the picture of man. Man is perfect. In the, is before the fall, he is perfect. No sin. He's living in the Garden of Eden. Can't get any better than that. He has uninterrupted access to the Father, to his Creator. And yet he looks at him and says, there's something missing. What was missing? He didn't have a companion. He wasn't in relationship until God created Eve. Even back at the very creation, there was something, even before the fall, when everything was perfect, there was still something meaty because God created us to be in relationship. We could say it this way, that God, that there's a void in all of our lives that only God can fill. We'd agree with that, right? But there's also a, bo- a, a void, a, a, a people-shaped void that God won't fill. It's a people-shaped void that God created in us that's only going to be satisfied in meaningful relationships. And we've all dealt with loneliness in some form or fashion, right? I, I'm sure there's times when you're around lots of people and still feel lonely. Right? It's not about being around people. We can sit in a room like this all day long. It doesn't mean that we feel connected in any meaningful way. So it's not just being around people. We've all felt isolated at times. We've all felt lonely at times. We've all felt rejected at times. These are things we've all dealt with in life in different various ways. So we know what it feels like when that void is empty or pressed on a little bit. God created us to be in relationship. And just, just know that the enemy works overtime to disrupt those relationships. And if we don't see that, then, then we're just putting blinders on to, to say the enemy's working overtime in our marriages, in our friendships, in our church. Why? Because we're better together than we are apart. Matter of fact, if you look at Ecclesiastes, there's a familiar scripture that we read at many marriages, but it's not really geared for marriage. It's just a good analogy. And in 4.9, it says two are better than one. You guys familiar with this? Why? Because they have a good return on their work. Meaning that we are, uh, th- that our mutual effort together is better than if we're going it alone. We can accomplish more together. Go in the business arena, go in the church. It doesn't matter what arena. If you're walking with someone and you guys walk in lockstep, you're going to accomplish a far more than if you're just trying to push it uphill by yourself. says if he falls down, his friend is there to help him out. But pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. Speaks of mutual support. We're there to pull one another up. Also, if we lay down together, they, they will keep warm. Speaks of mutual encouragement there. 
And though no one may be, uh, though, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, peaceful mutual strength. The whole point is this. If we're walking together, we're going to be stronger than if we're walking apart. We can be overpowered apart. We can accomplish something, but we're not going to reach our full capacity if we're walking apart. We may fall down, but we're not going to stay down if we're walking together, right? But pity the man that falls down and doesn't have anybody there to pick him up. Right? Because God didn't create us to fall down and pick ourselves up. Even though that's what our society says, just pick yourself up and keep going. Here's what it means to be a man. If you fall down, you've got to pick yourself up and keep going. That's not what the Word of God says. God says we're called to walk together. So if you fall down, and you will at some point, somebody's there to grab hold of you and pull you up. And when somebody beside you falls down, you're there to pick them up, and you guys keep moving ahead. And we don't stay in these long seasons of just kind of being in the muck, not going anywhere. Because someone's there to grab hold of us, and we keep, keep walking. God's created us to live in fellowship with one another. And then secondly, he calls us to invest ourselves, intentionally invest ourselves in others. It's enough that God created us. He also called us to invest ourselves. Proverbs says, a man who has a friend must himself be friendly. Right? We talk about how we invest ourselves. We don't talk about friendships a lot. We talk about work. We talk about lots of different ways we invest ourselves, but we don't talk about friendships. Investing our time, our energy, our resources into people. Not just people that are outside the church, but people that are in the church too. Right? Because there's lots of different relationships that God calls us. God calls us into a relationship with Him, certainly. And that's a priority of a relationship. And He calls us into relationships with unbelievers. We're called to be salt and light in our world. But He also calls us to walk together as believers. Critically important. And this is not a new issue. This, this issue has been going on since the church started. Go back and look at the, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews said, don't, don't stop meeting together as the habit of something to do. Right? Don't stop meeting together. Don't stop going to church. Don't stop going to small group. Don't stop having dinner together. Don't, don't stop meeting together. This is, this, is, this is early church right here. Don't stop meeting together. Somebody's already started to do. Church goes. It's booming. People are, are caring for one another. They're sharing their lives. They're sharing their resources. There's nobody in need. The church is exploding. They're meeting house to house. They're meeting in temples. Things, incredible things are happening. And slowly, you look back, and 10 years later, there's drift. And all people are not connected. They're not meeting together. They're, they, you know, I've done that. Uh, you know, I experienced that. It wasn't great for me. I moved on. There's got to be other things. And, and we kind of just drift out. I got hurt. I got wounded. I trusted somebody. They let me down. And we drift out. And we just let the enemy come in, stir all that disunity up and, and the isolation up in us. When God's called us to walk together, he's called us to invest ourselves in others. You guys with me? Let me, let me, let me illustrate this because I, some of these are lifelong friendships. I, I, I told you about this group we were a part of. Uh, for years and years and years, up to maybe last, last year, we would eat together every Easter. And it was a bunch of us, and then they all kind of moved, and still one couple every Easter. We just had, had dinner with them because we just, it just, they became family. And that's what you do. You, holidays, you hang out with family. So we hung out with them, right? So, and these are lifelong friends, but not all are lifelong friends. Some of these are, are seasonal, temporary. It's okay. God brings people in and out of our life in different seasons that we have something to give, and they have something to give and pour into our lives. 
There, there's a great story I read recently. It just seemed to fit this. It was about Jesse Owens. Great track and field Olympian. One of our best. So the 1936 Olympics, he was a part of. And, and in retrospect, this was such a strategic moment. So two years later, the Nazis were going to come into power. It's the first Olympics televised ever. So all of a sudden, people around the world can see it real time what's going on. I just hear it. And it's in Germany. It's in Berlin. Adolf Hitler's sitting in the stands. Matter of fact, he built these huge arenas to try to outdo what L.A. had done four years before. So you get the picture, and he's sitting there. And, and, and so Jesse Owens, he's got the world record at the moment, and he's expected to win. And he walks up to the pit, and in, in the story, he tells a story. He walks up to the pit, the long jump pit, and he sees the German there. Tall, blonde hair, blue-eyed German. And he starts to begin to feel nervous. Not because of his abilities, because he starts to sense the, the, the moment he's in. He clearly understands the, the Nazis' uh, pride and, and what they're trying to prove to be the, the supreme uh, people, especially over the blacks. And, and he, he senses that moment. And, and he senses Adolf Hitler watching. I mean, he senses everybody around the world watching this moment. He starts to feel nervous. And, and, he, and he writes that, that the that the German walked over to him, Lux Long, and he introduces himself. And they chat for a little bit. And, and then he starts to encourage him. He said, you know, you're not going to have any problem making it through the preliminary rounds. Matter of fact, what I encourage you to is, is, is not to drop right up to the line, but come back a few inches so you don't limit yourself early in it. And they have this exchange. Just settles everything for him. You know, settles him down. He's good. He goes on to make it to the finals and then win and set an Olympic record. The first person to congratulate him the German. And he looks back over his life and, and, and he writes this. He writes this. He said, you can melt down all the medals and cups I have and they wouldn't be a, a, a pinning on the 24 garret friendship I felt for Lux. He never had another moment with him. As a matter of fact, uh, the German went off and, and uh, died in World War II. But there was something that was imparted by a man that intentionally went over and invested himself in somebody else. That, 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 that's what God calls us to. He created us for, for, for fellowship and he created us for many, meaningful relationships, but he calls us to go over and begin to invest ourselves in others. And you know what? There, there are lots of different people, and they receive friendship and, and relationships differently. Some people are takers. They're just going to receive and receive and receive and receive and, 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 and won't give anything, incapable of giving anything back, whatever. There's some that are traitors, meaning that they'll, that if they get something, they'll give it back. You, you know, it's, it's kind of that mutual change. But then there's investors. An investor is someone that, that pours themselves in anyone is a place of receptivity, but that's not their goal. Their goal is just, to, is just to pour into somebody else, to invest in somebody else. They let God take care of the returns. And all they're concerned about is the investment. And I really think that what's, that's what God calls us to, is be investors in people. To invest our time, to invest our resources, to give with wisdom, certainly, but to give ourselves to others. As we give ourselves to others, God's going to bring back blessings into our own life. God calls us, he 
created us and calls us, but then he connects us. And he connects us into people that are very different than you and I. should say diverse, not diversity. Connects us into a diverse community. And this may show some ages, so, so uh, I'm going to step out. How many people have ever seen Gilligan's Island? Okay. So you're with me. Okay. So for those who didn't, I'm just going to kind of explain a little bit. It's a, it's, a, it's a show of these people out on a boat, and they hit the storm and get shipwrecked, and they can never get off the island, right? That's a show. It's a sitcom. It's a show. What's great is this is a great picture of community, of the community that God calls us into. Think about some of the characters that make up this show. You, you, you've got the skipper, right? So he's the, he's the leader. He's the in charge. He's the fearless guy, always willing to take on challenge. You got the house. These are the rich, filthy rich folks. Business mind can administrate anything. You have Marianne. Marianne's the, uh, she's the uh, consummate encourager and comforter. She's got the coconut pie for anybody that needs it in the moment of struggle, you know. You've got the professor who is MacGyver. He can, he can invent anything. You know, you give him a coconut, some sand and some bark and he can make a radio. I mean, he just can make anything. Somehow he can never make something to get off the island, but he can make everything else. And you guys, he can build a ship to get to the moon, but can't get off the island. I don't know how that works. Here's the inventor. He's the creative side. He's the one that kind of make things happen, make things work. You have, uh, you have Ginger, you have the, the model and the actor. She, somehow she can always, people somehow show up on the island. And she can always navigate through all those relationships. And then you, then you have Gilligan right? Gilligan's the servant. I mean, he just serves everybody. Always messes it up, but he just serves everybody, right? So, so and what I love about it, what I think makes the show work is that you just see this picture of community. You see them surviving because they're, they're complementing one another. Their strengths are complementing another. They have a sense of belonging, connectedness. They feel, they feel valued. And by the end of the show, everybody's on the same page, and they're loving one another again, and and, 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 and so whatever came their way, episode by episode, they can, they can make it through. And, and, and that's, the, that's, that's a picture to me of the Christian community. If, if you just take a moment and you look up at some of the, uh, the community that Jesus built around himself, he built, he built these relationships and he invested in them. And among those were some former demon-possessed people, tax collectors, doctors, Fishermen, some political radicals called zealots or sons of thunder. Sound like a wrestling team. <laughs> Former prostitutes, people that struggled like Thomas that were doubters and they just struggled. Lots of different ethnic groups. You have the Gentiles that were part of that. You have the Jews, certainly. You have Samaritans he reached out to. Different giftings, different personalities, different perspectives, males, females, old, young. Those are educated, those are not so educated, those that seem to have money, those that didn't. Just this weird mix of folks. And he invested in them for three years, and then he used that to change the world. Only God can do that. Only God's going to take something that seems so, uh, so odd a mixture and blend it together beautifully, and build a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. And that's what he does here. If we look around, if we have time to go around, we'll have all different 
types of personalities and giftings uniquely created by God, very different from one another. We have in here different backgrounds. If we went through and talked about our spiritual backgrounds, it's going to be wide range from from those that have none to those that came up in a Catholic background to those that came up in a real conservative to to spirit-filled background. It would be all over the map in terms of what backgrounds and denominations we came from. Giftings and experiences and what we do in life and our family side. It would just be, yet God does something wonderful and he connects us, this diverse body together. And I'm not talking about just the universal church. I'm talking about the local church. I'm talking about what he does here. He just uniquely connects us together. He created us for relationship. He calls us to invest ourselves in others, not wait around for someone else, but to invest ourselves in others. And then he just supernaturally connects us into this meaningful community that can move the dial, can, can, can make change happen, can, can affect a community, can touch a world. Jesus said to John and Mary, Dear woman, here's your son. And he says to, to John, Here's your mom. It's as if he's saying, You know, Brent, here's your, here's your brother Johnny. And Johnny, he got a sister in Kathy. And he says, Kathy, you got a brother over here in Glenn. And he just, just, he looks at us and calls us into those type of relationships, not just, Hey, It'd be cool if we all come together and worship and, and maybe know each other's names, but much more than that, something much deeper than that. So Jesus dies on the cross. He, three days later, is resurrected. Mary Magdalene is the first one to, the, uh, to, to, to go in and, and see this disruption of an empty grave. And so he runs to get Peter and and John, and they just sprint out, and John beats him there, but he's the last one in. He, he gets there, but, but then Peter goes in, as Peter would often do, jump without thinking, and then slowly kind of John comes in behind him, different personalities, different giftings, right? So, so then here John gets in, and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and Scripture says when he went in, he believed, and then the disciples returned home. When John got back home, who do you think was there? It was Mary, Right? She came into his home and stayed there the rest, the rest of his life. He took care of her the rest of, the rest of her life. So uh, th- three days ago, they're weeping and in deep sorrow watching their friend and son and savior die. And three days, three, three days later, they're in their house celebrating and rejoicing together, experiencing that together. Why? Because God uniquely connected them together. That's what he does for you and, and for I. And, he, and I just say, you know, it, it really is, uh, you can, Garrison, if you don't mind, just hit the last slide there. It, it really is uh, God's call and, and, and message to us. And, and it's, it's really our mission that we've got to take up. It's something that God supernaturally does, but we've got to take it up. And we've got to become that, that he created us to become. So just stand up with me. You know, I would challenge you this morning to reflect on where you are in that process. Maybe it's just a revelation this morning that God created you for relationships, and that's fine. It's good. That God really created you for that. It's not just haphazard, but God created you 
placed in you the capacity for relationships. Or maybe for you, it's just it's a, it's a, it's a time to think, I, I need to renew this idea that I need to intentionally invest myself in others. Every time Glenn and I pass, we talk about having coffee together, but it's just a passing thought that we both want to do, but yet I've got to take initiative to get it on my calendar and do it. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as that. Lunch at Glenn's house. Very cool. Uh, where are, are we intentionally investing ourselves in others? Is it just something we think would be a great idea and we want to do it, or are we really going after it? Am I going after it? Are you going after it? Is there drift in that area? Maybe you have in the past, but in this season, you've got just busy with family and life and, and, and work and, and just all there is to do that are all legitimate. But, but the time just to refocus back and say, am I investing my time into people? Maybe as simple as just saying, you know what, I'm going to go try a journey group. I, I don't know if I like it, I, I, but I'm just going to kind of cross over. I'm just going to join one and see how it works and see what's about. That, that's fine. It's a great step. Are we investing? Do we feel a sense of supernatural connection to this body? If not, there's lots of wonderful bodies. Forgive me, Pastor Bobby, if I'm not supposed to say that, but there's one. A lot of great churches. Feel connected. Know that God's called you to it. And invest in it. Invest in it. Invest in it. Let me bless you today. In this season of prayer and fasting, I want to bless your prayer closet. Wherever that is, if that's in your home or in your car or at work, I want to bless that place of intimacy you have blocked for the Lord. May God meet you this week in that place. May your ears be attuned to his voice. May you pray out his heart. May God speak to you with absolute clarity. May God meet you in some profound ways, profound revelation in your prayer closet this week. I bless your homes. May the peace of God that passes all understanding may be a guard about your heart and mind. And may it guard your homes. May, your ho- may peace just reign on your homes. May joy reign in your homes. May laughter reign in your homes. May your coffee tables and your dinner tables be full of divine connection and interaction this week. For those that lack relationships, I pray this week this would be a, a, a supernatural connect- connections for you know today you are the blessed of God you are the favorite of God his favor is resting upon you you are his salt you are his light you are the carrier of his glory out to every place you go may God bless you let me do this real quick before we release our prayer teams can we get our prayer teams to come up if you need prayer before you go please don't hesitate to come up don't even have to share your quest. If you're not sure how to do that, just say, I need prayer, and they'll pray with you. God bless you all. Have a great, great week.